As a church, we have been um, looking this year at um, a bit of a um, relook at our vision, um, and we're using this sort of analogy of a bit of a rebuild. So we're using the book of Ezra and Nehemiah to have a look at our sort of purpose and our direction as a church. Um, we've been talking about um, our uh, vision of old rebuilding on uh, some of our uh, goals as a church of growing disciples, of uh, caring for people, of reaching the world. Um, and we're sort of tweaking those a little bit and uh, working uh, with them. And we're looking to the book uh, or the books of Ezra and Nehemiah uh, to try and gain uh, some principles and insights that would uh, help us uh, as we look at that and see where God may lead us with that. So we began uh, a few weeks ago where um, I spoke, oh yeah, that's this little image that we're still tweaking, but this idea that Jesus is the center of this church and that's what we're building around. Uh, we want people moving around, following Jesus, moving to become like Jesus, helping others move Jesus as we grow disciples uh, care for people and as we reach the world. And uh, we're thinking about that in terms of how we're moving in following Christ. If we go to the next slide, the Ezra Nehemiah um, sort of slaw, um, series is sort of unfolding this way, this way, is that I dealt with vision and leadership, that God's vision was being lived out through the people that uh, he brought into uh, being to do that, sometimes it was kings, uh, other times it was leaders, other times it was sort of random type people. Um, and the vision was placed on them, given the responsibility to them as leadership uh, worked together uh, with the people to see this vision lived out. Joel did a great job uh, last week of taking that uh, as the step further uh, and looking at unity around the vision. If you haven't listened to either of those, you can go to our website and all our sermons are on there. But I had to listen to Joel's uh, sermon during the week, and I thought he did a great job at just uh, talking about how the people united around God's vision for them uh, and how they sought to uh, rise together to build up uh, the vision that God had laid on them for, uh, for their, them as a, a people of Israel. And if you haven't seen it yet, he had a picture of the wall of Jerusalem and that it was two kilometres long, and he gave a picture of how far that was, and that that was done in a miraculous amount of time. In 52 days, it was rebuilt. And that's what happens when the power of God comes on his people. Things happen in ways that uh, we can't <laughs> do it in our own strength or in our own might. And what happened to the people around, when the people around saw what was happening, but didn't they say, oh, look at Israel, aren't they an amazing nation? No, that's not what they said. The people around them, they said, look at their God and what he has done. And we're, we're playing on the analogy here, aren't we, about for us as a church? So we don't want people to point at our church and say, oh, look at One Hope, look what they're doing, mate, they're amazing. No, the point of this is that as we work together, people will see God and experience His power and they will look at Him and say, <laughs> He is to be glorified. Look what God is doing. 
And that's what we keep in front and center. We want to keep Jesus and his glory at the center of our church. This week, we're going to look at um, opposition that comes against it pretty well. As the, straight away, as the vision comes down, what happens? Opposition comes up against it. We're going to deal with, uh, look at how we deal with that. Uh, next week, we're going to um, feed off um, our first fruits offering, where we look at generosity to the vision. And we've already seen some of that, uh, people uh, giving to that through time, money, gifts and the like. And then uh, the following one will be uh, a celebration of the vision, a celebration of God and his people together living out this reality. And it's a place of joy and of celebration and feasting. So we're going to do it on that day. We're going to have a feast that day. Uh, so, uh, so what's that, three weeks from now? Two weeks. So what, what date is that? Thank you. The 20th of March. Mark it in your calendars. We're having lunch after the service. Uh, hopefully that's going to be a spit roast type arrangement. We're still working on that. Um, but we're going to celebrate uh, lunch together as we sort of come to the end of this little series on Ezra and Nehemiah. Um, and as we uh, have recognized, uh, you know, what is the vision? What's the vision? The vision is God and his people living together for the glory of his name. That's the vision. That's what, so God is rebuilding Jerusalem, setting the temple uh, back in place so that he can gather his exile, so he can gather his people together so that they can live with him. We've talked about the New Testament uh, version of this, isn't it? Remember that the, in the New Testament, when Jesus comes and the Spirit comes, that the church now becomes the living temple that goes out and forms communities of people in the world. The church goes out and forms little church communities that represent God uh, to the world. So this building still goes on, but it's not in a geographic place. It's wherever God's people is. It's wherever God dwells. God dwells now in his people. And that's the vision today. God and his people living together for the glory of his name. And that's happening here in One Hope, and it happens through this nation and throughout the world, wherever his church is gathering. And Jesus made it pretty clean, clear to the disciples, didn't he? As he sent them out, the last words to him, he says, I want you to go out and make disciples and teach them to follow me, to be like me, to live like me. And I will be with you always. And what has he said? Don't forget the authority that I have, that I'm going to give you the power to do that. So let's have a look um, at Ezra and Nehemiah and uh, the opposition. So I want to ask three questions this morning. Is uh, why was there opposition? Uh, what did the people do when this opposition arose? And what did God do uh, when this opposition arose? So uh, both Ezra and Nehemiah, both early on, as soon as the vision was planted, opposition came against it. People weren't happy about it. And Fiona read both of those passages. You might have thought in that first passage that um, Fiona read that... Um, did you, you know that the people wanted to come and help? And they said, no, we don't want you to help. You think, oh, wait, what, what's, what's that about? The introduction to that passage was the enemies of God wanted to come and help. So did they really want to help? No, they wanted to help themselves. So the enemies of God in Ezra's time were the people around that had their foot in every religion or um, sort of pagan practice going around and they thought it would be good for them if they could get on board with this Yahweh God as well. They might be able to get their favour. And so you know the slight difference there. 
The slight difference is they were doing it for themselves. The enemies did it for themselves. It was about what we would get out of it. and We might gain favour from the gods or we might be protected. Whereas God says, no, this is all about me. It's about for my glory and my glory is to be revealed. And in that, I care for my people and my protect my people and shower their blessing on them. Um, and, just, and we get these other two, Tobiah and Samballot as well, uh, that come against uh, the people of Israel. I don't know if you've noticed it, but if you're a Christian today and you say that you're a follower of Jesus, something usually happens when you say that in the world. Maybe if you think about when you say that amongst people who are not Christians in your workplace or in your school, with your neighbours or your family members that don't know Jesus. I don't know if you noticed that there's a fair bit of opposition to living for Jesus today and particularly in this country. And the Bible uh, tells us, and I've used this before, I think it's a Tim Keller thing, I'm not taking the glory for it, I'll source him, uh, where he says when we talk about the enemies of God, we, we use three things. One, it's Satan. Satan is the enemy of God. Two, it's the world that's working against us. And three, it's the old self. So it's our old self within us, you know, sin within us. And Paul talks about the old self waging war against the new self. And so those three always work together uh, as they stand against the church. And maybe you can just start thinking about how have you experienced that? How have you experienced Satan working against you or the world working against you or even your old self working against this idea of following Jesus? That Satan and his demons are at work doing everything that they can to prevent you from following Jesus to prevent you from doing anything about getting others to follow Jesus. That the Bible says that the love of this world is hatred towards God because the world is self-obsessed. It wants its own glory. The gods of this nation are individualism, sec secularism, humanism, where you are the most important person in the world and everything gets decided around you. They don't want you to say that Jesus is Lord. The world doesn't. The world laughs at you for saying that. What sort of a joke is it that that you follow someone, <laughs> that you live try and live like that? Have you been laughed at? Have you been mocked? Have you been brought down because you said you're a follower of Jesus? Or and both of these work together internally, don't they? Uh, the Bible calls them often worldly desires. Paul even writes this, doesn't he? In Romans chapter 6 and 7, Paul says, the things I don't want to do, I keep on doing, and the things I shouldn't be doing, I do do. And they're waging war against him. But he knows that there's no condemnation for him, that he's alive in Christ. But this is the reality, that there is the old self that's still at war within. Temptation's coming. Weakness that shows itself. And so that we know that if we're going to step up and follow Jesus, that opposition is coming our way. You've probably experienced it already. The question is, how are you dealing with it? What do you do with it? And so hopefully we can learn from these 
passages this morning and from the books of Ezra and Nehemiah. And I'm asking you as a church to read through these. Uh, if you haven't already yet been reading through them, read through these books a number of times to see the principles and practices that we can apply as the church today. So first, first point is why was there opposition? You know, who was the opposition? Remember what we've said already, they're the enemies of God. There are those who uh, want glory for themselves. Uh, Ezra, we've talked about who they were. But this Sambalat and Tobiah and Geshem, who are these guys? They're the local officials that live around Jerusalem. They're the local governors that have the power in the area. And so they're actually uh, seeking, uh, why they're standing up into the opposition is because it's about power and control. That if the, the Jews come back in and they start uh, taking over, they lose their power and control. They lose the wealth that they'd be getting. They lose their power that they have over the area. So again, what are they going to do? They're going to stand up and protect uh, their own turf. They talked about uh, enemies of God. If you um, read through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, you will see that they have this um, continued perseverance to bring down the Jews. And in order to do that, they have all sorts of different strategies. The first strategy is just to mock them, to laugh at them, to bring um, ridicule against them. Did you hear? Oh, what, what did he say? If in a fox jumps on the wall, the wall's going to... You, you, you think that wall's going to stand against... You think your church can do anything in this world? You think that following... You think Jesus' way of life is going to make any difference in this world? And the mockery begins and the laughter begins and the opposition to have us doubt who Jesus is, doubt who we are because of him. Satan is out to have people follow him, not Jesus. That's his intent. He wants people to follow him, not Jesus. He wants the glory for himself. And he will often do it by force and oppression to take over through um, different means. And that's what these guys did. They came against the Jews with uh, threats of violence. The armies were going to come and they were going to, they threat, they death threats. We're going to come in and kill you. They plotted uh, physical fights. They had stealth. They sent secret letters to Nehemiah to try and get him to go off where they were going to kill him. They had uh, let in Ezra. They sent letters to the powers, the political powers, and they, they raised a letter to the political powers and they said, do you realise what they're doing out there? Do you realise what they're doing out there here in Australia? Do you realise what the church is saying about gay and lesbian people? Or abortions? Or Do you realise what they're... You've got to do something. And so the political powers begin as opposition to following Jesus and living his way. And as we go through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, realize that this is persistent. It is a constant voice right the way through these books, chipping away while the people were trying to work. There were lies, fear, deceit, temptation, false prophets that even came against them, saying God is not real. He doesn't do anything. Christianity is for the weak. Laughing. You really think that's true? Twisting the truth. Did anyone watch Q&A this week? There was a guy on there um, from um, Family First. The interesting thing that I picked up, he was standing against the Safe Schools project. As soon as he opened his mouth, 
there was just ridicule, laughter, and anger from the audience to the point where the guy was actually trying to control the audience. Because as soon as he opened his mouth, and I didn't think he was being aggressive or anything like that, but there was ridicule, laughter, mockery that came his way um, when he was basically saying what he believed about these things. I don't know if you've experienced that. <laughs> this opposition is real and it's res- relentless and in our country we experience it in very powerful ways. The other opposition came from within, if you read through the book, that the people began to sin. The people, you know, Joel mentioned last week there was that family that the nobles didn't put their work, their shoulders to the work. They didn't do what God had asked. Uh, Later on you read about intermarrying or bending the rules or forgetting the word. And as these lies and temptations and fears and this oppression came, uh, they gave into that. And they trusted themselves or they trusted the things of this world more than God. And that began to damage the building and the city of God. But we saw as we go through that what do the people do is they continually to repent and believe. They come back to the word of the God and they remember that even through that, God still loved them. God still watched over them. God protected them. God was working his plan of salvation for them. So as the enemies of God and the enemies of our church, we're thinking about Satan, the world, our old selves, are doing all that they can to stop you following Jesus. How are you dealing with it? What are you doing about that? And so what do the people do? The people, the first thing pretty well that they do every time is they remembered. They remembered. Like we did this morning. They remembered who God was and who they were because of him. They remembered how God had saved them in the past. They remembered that God was the creator of the universe and held all things in his hands. They remembered that they were the chosen people. They remembered that they were saved from slavery. They remembered the temple. They remembered, and as they did that, (laughs) they turned back to God. And then what did they do as they remembered? Right the way through Ezra and Nehemiah, they got down on their knees and they prayed and they said, God, do your work amongst us. And they cried out to God and they said, God, your glory be worked through us, your people. May you come and do something about this. What do they pray? It's interesting what they pray, isn't it? Fiona read out. Did you read? They prayed that their enemies, the the, the curses that the enemies were putting on them would be turned back on their enemies. They prayed against their enemies. They prayed that their enemies would stop. They prayed that their enemies would be defeated. They prayed that they would have strength and courage to continue. They prayed that God would fight for them, that God's power would work in and through them. And what did they do? They obeyed. <laughs> they actually did. They, if you go through the books of Ezra and Nehemiah, they pull out the word of God and they get back to living the way God wanted them to live. They got back into the sacrificial system. They celebrated the Passover again. And they stood firm. They stood firm in the promises of who God was and who they were. And that gave them courage as they united together to keep building. They had to guard against the opposition, 
and they, d- they had to guard against the opposition, but they remembered this verse at the end, do not be afraid of them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your family because our God will fight for us. So as we do, our ch- as we do church this year, as we come up against all sorts of stuff that this school, our politicians, our friends, our family throw against us. Let that be our prayer. God, do something about them. May you come with power and show them who you are. May you sustain us and give us courage to keep building this vision, to keep proclaiming the good news, because that was the good news that they were building was God and his people together forever. The good news was that God's hand was over them, protecting them. And here's, when I was preparing this sermon, here's where it took an interesting twist for me as I was thinking about this whole opposition. And I wasn't expecting this. It came sort of a bit out of left field. Here's the thing. The vision is more important than the fight. Okay? Let's get this, is everyone going to unpack this? The vision is more important than the fight. Because as you'll note, they actually don't get into a fight. They don't do any fighting in Ezra and Nehemiah. God does it all for them. What do they do? They stand firm on who God is. They stand firm and proclaim him to who he is. And God does the fight for them. They didn't stop building the vision. They didn't stop working. They had to guard and they had to protect. So it wasn't that they did nothing about it. They had guards and protection there as well. But the vision was more important than the fight. They didn't go, they didn't put down their tools and go and chase them and wipe them out. <laughs> no, the vision was more important than the fight. And look at how they prayed. No. How they prayed? What did they pray? They said, remember Sanballat and Tobiah. So basically they're saying, God, we put these enemies into your hands. You remember them for what they've done because what they've done is despicable. You remember them. You deal with them. And then I want to just go to the next. I'm going to come back to this. What did God do? What did God do as, as his people prayed? God continued to watch over them. God fought for them. He stopped the enemy. Do you notice that? The enemy actually had plans to come and fight and kill them, and they didn't. It doesn't really even explain how that happened. Somehow, all, of the, all the, the Bible says there's a line is, the enemies of God found out that God knew what they were up to, so they didn't come and fight. I don't know how that works, but that's how it works. A supernatural stopping <laughs> of that. Um, God, what did God do? He continued to remind them through the word, through the prophets, uh, through their leaders of who God was and who, he w- who they were because of him. God strengthened them. They gave them strength. They worked night and day on this. When they thought their energy and power was going to give up, God reinvigorated them, revisioned them, gave them energy to go beyond their own selves. He blessed them. Do you know, if you've read through the book of Ezra and Nehemiah, who ended up paying for the rebuilding of, the, of Jerusalem? It was the kings of Persia. 
and, and as the enemies sent letters to say, you've got to stop these people, the kings read the letters and said, oh no, uh, that's wrong, I'm going to fund them. And so the kings from Persia funded the building of Jerusalem. And God turned the enemies back on themselves and he blessed them uh, and he forgave them. He constantly reminded them, even though you fall back into your old self stuff, there's a process, I'm a saving God. Um, the sacrificial system came in and as we know, we point to Jesus and we know that Jesus is going to come and set you right. And the hand of the Lord was over them as they did their work. So coming back to this statement, it's not about the fight, it's about the vision. And the vision that God has given to us as his church is that God so loved the world that he sent his only son into this world so that whoever believes in him would not die but have eternal life. That's the vision. God wants people living with him. And Jesus is at the center of that. He's the one that enables that to happen. That Jesus through his death, resurrection, and ascension, through the, um, through the power of the Spirit, is the way that that vision gets lived out. God and his people together forever. So where do we go? Last slide. So Jesus said, go and live out this vision to us, the New Testament church. Go and make disciples. Teach them to follow me. That's my summary. And he reminded them as they did that to go out with all authority because I will be with you always. And we know that through his spirit. Here's the question I want you to wrestle with. How did Jesus deal with his enemies? How did Jesus deal with those who opposed him? It's quite interesting. He started to tell parables like the wheat and the weeds. Do you remember that? And so the sower went out and sowed, and then someone came in and all the weeds went. And he said, the weeds are sort of the enemies of God with the people of God and they're growing up together. And God said, just let them grow up together. I will deal with them in the end. These are the sorts of ways that Jesus taught his disciples to deal with their enemies. What did he say? He said, I want you to love your enemies and I want you to pray for those who persecute you. Keith Vetark last year, I wasn't here, but a number of people mentioned to me uh, about his sermon. He preached a sermon um, last year, I think, while I was away. Um, and he's, he reminded us that when we fight, we fight with spiritual power. We fight with the power that's given to us by the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if you can remember what he said. And he talk, talked about 2 Corinthians chapter 10. And he said, the weapons that we fight with are not of this world. Here are the weapons we fight with meekness and gentleness we fight with the fruit of the spirit remember what they are love joy peace patience kindness i always get them mixed up faithfulness self-control goodness that's the way we engage in this fight and sometimes as we as christians and as the church we engage in the fight rather than the vision <laughs> And I think these things, that too, are reminding us that when we live out this vision, we have this spiritual power to do that. Remember who Jesus most got angry at 
It was the religious people. It was the people that tried to lord it over, who tried to take control, who forced their opinions on others. Remember when Jesus went into the desert to be tempted, to come across his enemy? How did he deal with it? Yeah. That's the way we usually answer, isn't it? Scripture. He answered with Scripture. I saw a clip this week. <laughs> it reminded me, actually, Satan uses Scripture against us. The Pharisees use Scripture against people. But I don't know if just using Scripture was the answer. No, because if you read the verses just before that, Jesus went into the desert full of the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that came on him, and it was by the Spirit that he stood against the opposition. He used Scripture in that, the truth of it, but it was by the Spirit that, God st that he stood against his opposition. And, and I'm thinking about the, the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit, and that's the things that God's using us as we want to see his vision lived out. The sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And I, it was interesting, um, as I read, remember, uh, you, you know, Ephesians chapter 6, the spiritual armour thing. This is how we wage war against the enemy, and what does that start off? It sort of echoes back the language here. He goes, I want you to stand firm. And of all of that armour, there's only one thing that's offensive. That's the sword. Everything else is actually protective. And it's, what does it do? It reminds us, remember, it's the helmet of salvation. It's the breastplate of righteousness. So these are reminders, remembering of who we are and who God is. It's the other way around. And the, the offensive weapon was the sword. <laughs> and I just thought, maybe that's a nice balance. And, and what does he say there? What is, it's interesting how that passage, if you, you look it up, how it, how it ends up. Because he goes, then what I want you to do is to put on that spiritual armour. I want you to stand firm in that. And then where does it go? Then he goes, then I want you to pray. And that's where Paul ends. If you read the end of Ephesians 6, the spiritual armour. He said, I want you to pray that God's gospel, the good news of Jesus, will powerfully go out through his church. That's the vision that we're engaged in. <laughs> that's the vision that we're engaged in. That the powerful message of Jesus Christ and following him and living for him, the good news of Jesus. Here's the thing. Gay and lesbian people don't go to hell because they're gay and lesbian. They go to hell because they don't know Jesus. The vision that we're living for when we engage in the abortion debate or the marriage debate or safe schools debate is about Jesus. Because he's wanting people to have life and life to the full. Life with God in perfection both now and for eternity. And that doesn't mean that we don't say anything. They still put their guards up and stuff. In the, but we remember we're, we're on about the vision, not about the fight. And the vision is Jesus. And that's what we want to proclaim as we live out his church. 
Remember C.S. Lewis when he talks about um, the Satan and the demonic? He says, don't give them too much time and don't ignore them. And that's, that's the balance we're in, isn't it? When we come to the opposition, <laughs> we don't ignore them. We stand up and we, we, we say well, what's right and true. But we also don't spend all our time fighting against their arguments. We're living for Jesus and we're following Jesus. You know how you hear that statement sometimes, we want to know what we fight for, not what we fight against. That's what we want to be known for, isn't it? What we fight for, not just what we stand against. And so as they did this, and as the people relied on God, continued living with his people, he continued working through them. The opposition uh, was defeated from the inside and from the out. And so this week, as you go out and fix your eyes on Jesus and seek to follow him, don't be unaware of the devil's schemes. He's doing everything he can to get you moving away from Jesus and following him. So be aware of his schemes and stand firm in Christ. Remembered who you are because of Christ. And put on that spiritual armor and pray for the gospel to work in and through us as his church. Let's pray. Lord and God, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have chosen to use us as your church, as this people gathered here this morning, to make yourself known to this world. Lord, we recognize that uh, we're in a battle with this. We recognize that Satan, the world, ourselves are trying to do everything that they can to prevent us living for you, with you, in and through you. So we cry out to you again this morning and we want to um, ask for your power to work in us. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come upon us with power and passion and purpose to live out your vision, to see your kingdom come. And Lord, that uh, as we do so, when we come against opposition, that we would be able to stand firm on you, articulate the love of Christ, be able to be prepared to give an answer for the reason of why we believe what we believe and why we live the way we live. But Lord, help our conversation, help our lives to be seasoned with love. May your spirit empower us to be a people of your fruit and your gifts. We pray against your enemies this morning. We stand firm in Jesus and we stand against them in the name of Jesus. That Satan and his uh, demons wouldn't have a place in this church. That their, their lies and deceit would be exposed by your spirit and your word. That as we go out to the world this week, that the world would be turned on its head and see how foolish its arguments are our foolish and purposelessness, how hopeless uh, much of its thinking is. And Lord, we, that we pray in that, that people would turn to you and see you. We pray for ourselves that we would be strong in you and that we would live more in our new selves and not give in to the old selves. We pray for your power and strength to be manifest in our lives for the glory of your name, for the good of your church, for the extension of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, amen.